time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. It truly is an honor to, to be here. So as, uh, as Kayla said, um, my wife and I were in Kansas City for about 10 years when we moved here. Um, you can go ahead and put up that slide of my family. They weren't able to be here tonight. This is my family. This is my wife, Rachel. My beautiful daughter, Leah. My wife's beautiful too. I don't know why I said beautiful in front of just Leah. Uh, uh, my wife leads worship here. I, yeah, I love this picture here. We just made this. We got our family photos done about a week or two ago. I just love this picture of just Aaliyah leaning in as we're as we're uh, kissing, and so I just wanted to show them off. I'm just super proud of them, love them a ton. If you guys have met them and know them, you know they're amazing. Um, so as we are in fall, I want to give you guys a little uh, school exercise. You cool with that? Yes. I didn't get as lively of a response there. Now, this one will be easy. Uh, I, want to, uh, I want to show some slides of some people that you most likely know, and I want you to shout back, and you have to shout back loud enough for me to hear you, uh, a word or a couple words that you think define these people. So let's go ahead and throw the first one up there. <laughs> I heard puke and blat. I also heard hot and cute. I mean, I mean the, the dude can sing though. <laughs> the dude, the dude can sing though. Am I right? And the guy can, the guy's gonna. All right, all right. Let's move to the next one. I want some phrases. Who is this? Great. There's only one phrase you all better be saying. Greatest of all time. Get your LeBron junk out of here. Two rings? Are you kidding me, man? Six rings, my friend. Six for six in the finals. All right, one more. Who we got? The hero. Local hero. I mean, he's good now, but I mean, I want to see him get out of the first round. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing how good we are with thinking of a word or a response to somebody that we've never met. Like, there's so many celebrities. Like, we, we live in an opinionated culture where we use Twitter and Facebook and, and you know, an artist comes out, we love them and hate them. I mean, it's funny just pull, pulling out polarizing characters and you hear everyone's emotions come out and we're just great at defining people that we don't know. But it's amazing how bad we can be at hearing the voice of our Heavenly Father as He defines us. And as we are going into week two of our series, Pastor Brandon preached an amazing message last week about being wanted, about that there's no sin so great that separates us, that we are sons and daughters of the King no matter what happens. And, and uh, he even talked about how that desire and longing to, to want definition and to be wanted is, is not bad in and of itself. And we are longing for that definition. And, you know, this, this so to me defines my teenage years. I'm 
quite a bit removed from my teenage years, but I was thinking back, even preparing for the sermon back to when I was 14, 15, 16, how drastically my, who, how I presented myself to others changed based on what people thought of me. Um, you know, I remember discovering, you know, I like to play basketball and a couple of people told me, hey, you're pretty good at basketball. And I was like, I am going to be an NBA basketball player. This is what I will do for the rest of my life. And I, I tell, you know, tell people, God called me to be a minister of the gospel through basketball. You know, I just got real intense and passionate. And, you know, then I went to some basketball camps with some real ballers and I realized, eh, maybe not a baller. Maybe I'm a concert pianist. And I was like, I am, a, I am supposed to be a concert pianist for the glory of God. And, and, uh, you know, and, then I'd, and then I'd get some feedback from some real concert pianists. And they're like, eh, I don't know, maybe not so much. And then I'd be like, I want to do this. And it felt like every week there was just a new flavor of the week that happened. And, and, and really, uh, whatever people said about me is what I kind of took on. If people were like, hey, you're good at that. Then I was like, I want to be great at that. And it came from this longing to hear this definition of who I was, but it was coming from the wrong source. So tonight, how many, how many of you guys know what a Jesus juke is? Yeah. Have you guys ever been Jesus juke? Jesus juke is what happens. There's that one kid who, someone says something, nothing wrong with what they said. They just said something normal and innocent, and then they turn it on them and make you feel guilty for what you said. So it, for me, it was Jeff. Jeff was in my cabinet youth camp, and Jeff, he wore a, he wore a choker, you know, of Real, like a couple chokers of like seashells and stuff and, and uh, you know, big old cracks. And, and Jeff, you know, I went up to Jeff and I was trying to connect with, with my boy because I, you know, I felt bad because no one seemed to really like him. I was like, yo, Jeff, do you, do, you, do you love DC Talk? I just heard their last album and it's awesome. And he's like, no. It's like, oh, no, you, like, you don't think it's awesome? He goes, no. No, you haven't heard it? He's like, no. Only God is awesome gives me that look. I mean, he just, Jesus juked me. Like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree that God is awesome. I mean, I am not trying to compare DC Talk to, to God. And he just kind of walks away and, and shakes his head. Well, I, used to, I used to think when people would say my definition or what I was created for was worship, I just thought they were Jesus juking me. You know, I thought, you know, I'm like, man, what do I, I want to be all of these things. What am I created? Well, you're created to worship. But the older I've gotten and, and the more I understand, obviously, worship is more than... Uh, by the way, can we give it up for the, the DSM worship band tonight? That was insane. I've heard a lot of people do the Jesus, we love you. But man, Gina doing Jesus, we love you. That was insane. Oh, my word. So good. But as I learned, worship is obviously more than, than just singing songs. I really learned that worship is the pinnacle of us receiving and walking in our identity as sons and daughters. Worship is the pinnacle of us receiving and walking in our identity as sons and daughters. And we're going to work off an explanation. I'm not going to primarily preach on worship, but I'm going to bring it back to this. Worship is simply giving back to God what he first gave us. Or another way to say it, because I'm artsy-fartsy, so I like, you know, poetic phrases. Worship is just singing back to God the song that he first sung into us. And you might think, well, Pastor Caleb, it, you know, that sounds cool when you get all breathy and pause at the right moment. But you're just talking about re-gifting something back to God. There's nothing cool about re-gifting. 
You know, like I come home from work and Aaliyah runs up to me and she's like, Daddy, I got you a present. And, you know, I'm like, oh, what is it? You know, is it an iPhone or an album? No, it's the doll you bought me last week. I'm like, oh, wow, thanks. Thanks, me, for the doll that I bought you through you. And, and uh, so we think of worship like that and, and, and we can think of that as being cheap because we're like, well, there's nothing great about regifting. But it's because we're failing to see the power of how it shapes our identity when we respond to God through what he first gave us. Um, how many of y'all have seen the movie Inside Out? Come on, y'all. I mean, that movie took me behind the emotional woodshed and beat me senseless. I mean, I, the first scene, I was crying. I cried the whole movie. It was embarrassing. We went out with friends afterward, and I, we were at, like, eating burgers, talking about something else, and I'm still crying. It was, it was, I mean, if I was in California, I would have, like, single-handedly ended the drought just with how much I was crying all the way from the theater to where I ate. It was insane. I, I don't even know what happened, but they got me right from the opening scene. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie, the movie starts with this, this, this black screen. And so you don't know what's happening. And all of a sudden you see these eyelids open and you figure it out quickly. It's this baby being born. And there in the delivery room, you see a mom and dad as the eyes peel open. You see this mom and dad. They're like big smiles on their face bent over. And they're like, oh my gosh, like you are so beautiful. Welcome to this world. And what happens in the movie is something called a core memory, which is represented in this glass sphere, rolls down and takes a center place in this little girl's heart. And what happens is this core memory uh, dictates who she is and how she interprets circumstances. So the next time that she hears somebody say that you aren't beautiful, you aren't wanted, she filters it through this lens of no, you know, my parents who brought me into this world, that first moment, they actually spoke the identity and truth. And this is what happened to us. I want to bring us all the way back to the beginning of creation with Adam. And where we, we know that's obviously where our origins began. And Adam, the, the, the way he came into the world, I mean, you have to think from his perspective. I mean, God has just created the heavens and the earth. And he just spoke, let there be light. And bam, there was light. You know, and he spoke the galaxies into existence. And he spoke all of these things. But then on the sixth day, something special happened. And God stepped down, you know, out of his throne in heaven you know, and he came close to the earth, you know, and he scooped his hands into the dirt. And our God, showing us who he is to us, he breathes on the dirt and creates the frame of man. A, a, a sharp contrast to when he creates light and things of his beauty. But when he was showing his nature, he comes close and he breathes this breath of life. But he doesn't stop there, of course. He gets even closer and he breathes life into Adam's lungs. Now think of Adam. Like you are just straight up a fully grown dude who's just, you, know, you don't know anything. All of a sudden you open your eyes and your chest's out because you're, you're, full, you're full of air. You open your eyes and God's just like looking right at you in the delivery room, staring at you. And you just, you breathe out. But here's what I love too, is God takes a step closer and he breathes into Adam's heart and he breathes identity and he looks at Adam and he goes, you are very good. 
He speaks the truth and identity. And Adam, who's just received his frame, has just received the breath of God on the inside of him. Now he has the breath of identity from his father saying, I love you, you are good. And then he breathes back praise. You are good. And that's what worship is, the great returning back to what God gave. I mean, think about that moment. I mean, God could have said anything. He could have done, first of all, he could have spoken, let there be man. And boom, there was this man and that was it. He didn't have to get his hands in the dirt. He didn't have to come close like that. But also, when Adam opens his eyes, I mean, he could have said, I am your God and ruler. Bow before me or die. You know, he, he had every right to do that because that is true. Adam does have to serve him and give him his life. But God comes as a servant, comes close and says, no, first I'm a father and I created you and I crafted you in my hand. You were a dream in my heart. And before anyone else gets a chance to define who you are, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to say, you are good. And that's the place where Adam starts. This is our destiny, to see God's face and to breathe him back into the world. That's what worship is, this moment with Adam. To see God's face, to look at him, the one who breathed in your lungs, and to simply breathe out what he has already breathed in you. Let's look at this amazing scripture, John 5, 44. You can go ahead and put it up on the screen. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, how can you believe when you accept each other's praise and do not look for the praise that comes only from God? This verse has been blowing my mind lately. I mean, I, I, I read this anew and it just opened up and it was just, you know, mind out the back of my head. Just absolute, what? wait, what? Oh, it happened. I told Kayla my biggest fear was wearing these shoes and tripping on the steps and then it happened. Wait, God has praise that he has for us? He says, you can't believe. Jesus actually associates our believing in our salvation with receiving the praise of our Father. He says, you can't believe if you only receive the defining voices from those around you and you do not receive the praise that your heavenly Father is singing over you. You cannot believe. That's stunning. Do you know that the Father is singing praise over you right now? Do you know that the thoughts that he has toward you, your Father, the one who created you, I'm not talking about your earthly Father right now, I'm talking about your heavenly Father, the one who created you, more thoughts toward you than the sands of the sea. He has thoughts of praise. How many of those thoughts are thoughts of unbelievable uh, desire and love that would change our hearts if we believe them? Worship is breathing identity as sons and daughters and breathing praise back out. Worship is the great returning back to what we were created for. You know the Hebrew word for worship? It means to get on your knees and bow and put your face to the dirt. Worship is this great returning. We were, came from dirt, we returned to dirt, and it's beautiful. But you know what happens? When we return back to dirt, just like what happened in the garden that day, he kisses us and breathes life back into us. And we receive who we are and then we breathe it back out to him. That's worship. 
That sounds like something I can be created to do. But we have such a deep longing and desire to be defined. We live in a culture that is so desperate for definition. We, we feel so much pressure to figure out who we are and we want to listen to every voice that tells us who we are and who we're not. There's, I mean, everything, the music, TV shows, movies, our friends, those around us, the voices are trying to define you. You hear so many of them that you can't even decipher. You know what, you know what has helped me uh, understand this and pay attention to this is being a father because so many of y'all are trying to define my little girl. She's only two years old. I, she gets around you guys and I hear you guys. You say things like, oh my gosh, this, she's going to be trouble with the guys. She's going to be a little rebel. She's going to be, you know, and I, I hear these little words, you know, and, and I'm a, I, I just take those and I smile. And, but, you know, I got a little Pastor Brandon charismatic in me. So when they, when they leave, I, I, I'm not kidding. It'll just be me and Leah. And I'm like, Leah, you don't listen to that. You're not defined by that voice. I say you're a woman of dignity and honor, and you are going to be one who saves yourself for your husband, and you're going to be loved. So many voices out there that we have so confused and convoluted the voices that we have taken those voices and, and, and pretended that God has said that about us. We've taken the voices of our earthly father in their moments of weaknesses and we've interpreted that as our heavenly father. Or we've taken our own internal voice and we've said that's the heavenly father and we've put words in God's mouth. And we need to return back to the childlike state of believing who God says we are. And you were created to be given definition by your creator. You were created to be given definition by the one who created you and no one else. Think of Adam. Think of that moment where his creator was the one who defined him. This is a super, super fun stage of being a dad. Because Aaliyah's starting to talk um, and she doesn't stop talking. Before she knew how to talk, she just would run around the house screaming gibberish all day. So now she just talks and talks and talks and talks. So much fun. But she's starting to understand. Obviously, she understands words and sentences. And, and uh, it's so much fun to watch how the definition of what I've given her as a father comes out. Just the other day, uh, some, someone I didn't really know at church came up and we're like, Oh my gosh, Aaliyah, you're so pretty. And Aaliyah, she's got this kind of sassiness to it, to her. And she goes, yeah, I'm the prettiest girl in the whole world. <laughs> like she was like annoyed. It was like, yeah, why would you even say that? That's such a, that's such a cheap compliment to what I'm used to. And I, and I laughed, but inside I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like those words that I've spoken, they've, they've taken root in her heart. And there, there's, a, there's a favorite part of my day. No, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. It's my favorite part of my day. Uh, every day when I wake up, which is not my favorite part of the day, uh, it's normally about 6 a.m. and Aaliyah's in her room screaming like a banshee. Uh, and, and, you know, Rachel and I just drag ourselves out of bed. And I start getting ready for work or doing quiet time or whatever. And Rachel goes into her room and helps Aaliyah pick out her outfits. And I hear them in there. And Aaliyah is so chirpy in the morning. I mean, it's insane. Like, I, I'm pretty cheerful in the morning, but she just puts all to shame. And so I hear her. They're collecting, you know, what colors should we wear? Should we wear shorts? What, what shirts should we wear today? And, and, I, and I hear her uh, being excited and putting all these clothes on. And then the moment comes where, 
where I hear my wife say, okay, go show daddy. And at that moment, I'm just waiting and I just hear the, I hear the pitter-patter of her little feet that runs right into the room and she busts down the door and, you know, I'm like, I'm always ready for it because she just comes in boldly, like, whether I'm decent or not, she doesn't care. So she just runs in and she, you know, always same, same reaction response, just throws up her arms and goes, daddy, look at me. And she gives it a big twirl, you know, and, and in that moment, you know, it's the same routine every single day, but, you know, I get down, you know, and I look her in the eye and I take a second to really look at her outfit and I just say, oh my gosh. You look so beautiful. Look at this outfit. Oh, that shirt is so cool. It makes you look, that, that color brings out your eyes. That's so great. And she normally does a couple more twirls and she just laughs and then she just goes, thank you, daddy. And just like runs back out of the room and you just hear her feet running back out. And, and uh, you know, she just, she got what she came for. And right now, she has a special place in her heart for the voice of her father. And believe it or not, but she does not understand the fullness of the complications of the gospel yet. I have yet to find a way to get her to understand the pre-incarnate Christ coming down and being the propitiation of her sin for her. She just, she hasn't grasped it yet. I'm trying to teach her. She, she only, she knows one thing. She knows, she has, she has parents and she has a father. And she has a place in her heart. She has a puzzle piece of her identity that I hold in my hand. And if I tell her something about herself, she believes it with childlike faith and innocence. And I am like the potter and I am like molding this part of her heart. But there's a day coming. It's actually not too far off. It's almost kind of sad to, to say it. But there, there's a day where my voice is not going to be enough anymore. Where the voice of her father is not going to be enough to give her that identity that she needs. There's a day coming where she needs to hear her heavenly father say those things that her earthly father has tried to in, in just a weak and broken way. And sometimes I do it well and sometimes I don't. But my job as a father is to protect her and guard her and to prepare her for that moment that she is ready to receive the word of the father when it comes from heaven and says, you are beautiful. You are wanted. You are lovely. You have purpose. You have destiny. And my prayer is that she'll receive it with the same childlike innocence that, that she receives it right now when I say those words. And when she hears that from the Heavenly Father, I fully believe everything else will fall into place. And when you hear His voice, when you hear the voice of your Heavenly Father, Every other voice gets quiet. His voice shatters through. I, I love, I think it's Psalm 27. No, it's not 27. Psalm 29 talks about the voice of God shattering the cedars. It also says the voice of God makes the goats give birth, which is kind of funny. But uh, it's, it's the power of the voice of God to break through things. The voice of God has a power to break through lies and things and voices that we've heard and silence those and help us receive this voice. So I can almost hear you asking, so if we need definition so badly, specifically we're created to have definition by our Heavenly Father, why don't we receive it? Why are we so fixated on ourselves and the voices that are around us? Why can't we seem to break out of this habit of just wanting the praise of man and the definition of man and struggling to believe who God is. A.W. Tozer, he's a great Christian thinker. He has a great line. He says, 
The most important thought you can think is the thought that you think when you think about God. And how you think about God will determine everything else. And the reason we don't know who we are is because we don't have the right view of who he is. If you don't know who we are, it's because you don't have the right view of who he is. We have to know who he is to know who we are. Go ahead and turn to John 13. John 13, verse 1 through 7. I'm going to read through a story you guys are mostly familiar with. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Now, I love the epicness of the first couple of verses of this. Like, John really gets into the theatrics, and I love theatrics. I love epic. I love big. I mean, I love, you know, climatic. Like, that's just my, my flow, my style. So I love these verses. I mean, it's almost like he's like, you know, this Mexican soccer announcer who's just like ramping up to scream goal over and over again. Let me read some of these verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Go! You know, like it's this big epic buildup. And you're just so excited. You're like, what is going to happen? Like, is Jesus going to shoot like glory laser beams out of his eyes? And it's going to be like Raiders of the Lost Ark and everyone's just blown to pieces by the glory of God because we see the radiation and the brilliance of who Jesus is. And we're expecting this grand reveal because of how John is ramp- ramping it up. I can just see John snickering, you know, even as he's penning this chapter because he knows what's coming and the shock it has to us. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel which he was girded with. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand, but you will know after this. Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. It's not a good idea to tell Jesus something like that. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, part of us, you know, just wants to yell at him for being an idiot, for trying to rebuke Jesus, which is never a great idea. The other part is where we land most of the time. And that is we refuse to let Jesus wash our feet. We think... He speaks identity and we think, okay, I'm going to go to my little corner and I'm going to make it happen on my own. I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to clean up my feet real good. I'm going to make myself real worthy and I'm going to present myself to you. Guys, that's religion. Religion is trying to work something up on your own and bring it to God. Paul calls it filthy rags. He calls it, he actually uses, he uses a word for, for poop to describe our trying to be righteous. Because Jesus is saying, I'm ultimately going to wash the feet of the entire world at the cross. And you can't bring your strength and expect to exchange that for salvation. You can only bring weakness. You can only bring yourself as you are. And I want you to come as you are. And I want you to sit in that chair, 
dirty, filthy, undeserving, and you let somebody who has no business washing your feet sit there and kindly wash your feet. If you don't have a picture of Jesus that would come to your house right now just to do your dishes and take out the trash, smile and leave, and you don't have the right picture of Jesus and you don't have the right picture of the Father because Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. If your image of Jesus is one who would come and just rebuke you for the movies that you have or the music that you listen to and wouldn't first serve and love you, you have the wrong view of who he is. And if you have the wrong view of who he is, you'll have the wrong view of who you are. You can go ahead and play that clip. You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No! Look hard. You see, he lives in you. you going to do? First, I'm going to take your stick. No, 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 not your stick. Hey, where are you going? I'm going back. Good. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just can't get over how prophetic this clip is. I mean, you have Simba, who fathered given his life to save him. And then the voice of the enemy comes in and says, you killed your father. You have no place in this family. You have no right. Run away. And he believes that lie. And then the Holy Spirit, via Rafiki, the the crazy baboon, who reveals the father, 
shows him the image of the father that he bears on the inside of him. And then did you catch that line? He said, Simba, you've forgotten me. And Simba's like, what are you talking about? I think about you every moment. That was the worst moment of my life. And all I can think about is, is you. And he says, you have forgotten who you are. Therefore, you have forgotten me. You have to know who you are and believe. What did Jesus say? How can you believe if you cannot receive the praise of your heavenly father who's telling you who you really are? You know, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they hid themselves in shame and they were naked and they covered and clothed themselves and God came and they tried to hide, which doesn't work out really well, but they were the first humans, so we'll give them a break. But God comes in the cool of the day and goes, where are you? And they're like, and God says something unbelievable and so kind and tender. He says, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? Since when did another voice define you other than the voice of your father who said you are good and you can run to me, you don't run from me. You don't cower away in shame when you fail, you run to me. Who told you? That's my question to you tonight. Who told you? Who told you? you had to run from your father? Who told you you aren't beautiful? Who told you that you aren't the crown, prized possession of creation? That you aren't the apple of his eye? Who told you you weren't going to make anything of yourself? Who told you that you're just an emotional mess and you'll never get over? Who told you that you would just be defined by the whoever's on the left and the right? Who told you you weren't going to make it in life? Who told you that your sin was too big? Who told you that you were never going to conquer your sin because it was too strong? Who told you? Because it was not the voice of your father. His voice is a nothing but scream his love for you. you're beautiful, worthy, and lovely. And he hates every lie and every voice that has tried to come against that voice. Who told you? You have to receive just like Aaliyah, my little daughter, receives my voice. You have to receive, even though it feels like it's not true, because all these voices are telling you you're this, and you're that, and you're this, and you're that. You have to choose to believe that voice that speaks who you are, and there you can return back to him what he first gave you. I'm discovering this spiritual discipline. I think it's right up there with all the rest. Here's the spiritual discipline. Wherever I am, Normally it's a moment after I've failed or I'm angry or I've done something stupid. I stop in that moment, I ask for forgiveness. And then through the blood of Jesus, because he's bought this right for me, because I'm a son, 
I boldly approach the throne of grace, just like Aaliyah runs into my room boldly in the morning. And I stand before the Lord and I look him in the face and I say, tell me you love me. Tell me that you want me, that you accept me, that you're delighted in me, that your glory is in me, that your presence is me, that I'm an overcomer. Tell me. And I hear him speak and it changes me. It changes the state of where I'm at. It changes those lies of fear and shame that are telling me, hide, run, run. You can't go to your father and he's screaming, no. I speak a better word and I say I want you. And I say I love you. Receive my voice today. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.